Who never do for do? Yeah, wings with friends. Ah, wings with friends. You got to get the wings to be with the friends. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Wings with Friends. I'm your host, Mary Upchurch. How's the pandemic going for you? I hope it's going well. I don't know how to act in a pandemic. Um, But I'm very excited to bring to you another socially distanced episode. And I'm very happy to be here with a talented comedian and friend, Spiro Savellis. Hello. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good. Going insane, but trying to stay as sane as possible so I don't... Yeah, freak out and run down the neighborhood all crazy. Absolutely. So, Spiro, you are a comedian. You live in Las Vegas. Yes, ma'am. I can't. I'm trying to, you know, put it. Can't try to remember. Keep everything straight. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to my listeners and tell them, like, what makes you so special? Oh man, what makes me so special? Oh, like I don't think we have enough time to talk about all that. (laughs) Now I'm. So I'm Spiro. Um, yeah, I'm originally from Chicago. I moved to Las Vegas a long time ago. Uh, I used to play professional hockey, got hurt, couldn't play hockey anymore. So that's how I started my comedy journey. I was in Los Angeles, uh, 17 years old, really didn't know what to do with my life because I moved away from family, friends, all that stuff. And uh, I got really big into improv when I was out there. And then I just did that for years. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I should do stand-up. Maybe there's a little bit more money in stand-up than an improv. And I've always liked stand-up, so let me let me give it a shot. So I transitioned uh, three and a half years ago, and I've been loving it. So I'm very happy with the choice, very happy with the decision. So, uh, yeah, now I'm just uh, waiting to work again like everybody <laughs> else. Yeah, and you were a busy guy before, uh, before all of this happened. And Vegas, I mean, it's a real poppin' scene out there. Yeah, like it's a small scene. Like our scene's very small. I think maybe like thirty, maybe forty comedians oh. total. Maybe like if you really like think about it, which I don't yeah. want to think about it because like I'll start to like second guess myself. But it's pretty. It's overall small. It's not your LA. It's not your Chicago. It's not your, your New York, Denver. All those scenes that a lot of people uh, flock to or consider you know bigger scenes. But um, there's a lot of good stages out here. There's a lot of you know shows on the strip there's a lot of local shows not a ton of open mics that's probably the only thing that maybe if we could improve that would probably be something that would be better but for the most part a lot of awesome shows a lot of great stage time um yeah that is so i'm so super happy to be here performing that is so interesting because i'm and uh, i mean i'm Everything that you're saying, I'm going, you're right. Yeah. And it's based, I'm thinking about based on what I see on Facebook, but it does, it, it's a really interesting scene that it's so small, but there are so many stage, stages. Is it because of that, like, it's an entertainment city and it's kind of transient with like people coming in and going out? Like, um, I don't know, that's kind of fascinating. I think, I definitely think that is probably the biggest thing to, and like, I've even noticed this, like, going to other scenes. Like sometimes you'll message them and you'll be like, Hey, I'm from out of town. Like, are there any shows? And they'll be like, no, or like, they're very not standoffish, but they, they like to take care of their own scene. Cause there's already so many people in their scene. We're here where I think we're just so accustomed to people coming here because it is a tourist destination that we try to have as many shows as possible, not just for us, but for us to have people, because we have so many people coming in every single weekend. So 
I think it's in our best interest to have as many shows as possible because not only does it help us, but it also gets us to network with a lot of awesome people across the country and even across the world. So um, I definitely think the tourism aspect of it is probably the biggest reason why we have so many shows here. Just there's always people coming here looking to do something or perform. That is so interesting. I think Phoenix, in in a sense, is like that in 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 the sense that if you were coming here and you reached out to a few mm-hmm. people, everyone would be like, "Okay, you got to do this, this, and this." Like we're so excited when somebody comes from here, and we we're like, "Oh, right. you know," um, but not everywhere else. <laughs> no. There was no. somewhere I went where I was like, "Hey, can I get on this open mic?" And they're like, "Oh, I don't know." And I was like, "What, man?" We treat, uh, somebody made the joke once, like, if you're an L.A., if you're an L.A. opener, like, you're a Phoenix headliner, and if you're, and then, and then a bunch of other ones, but then if you're Phoenix going somewhere else, it's like, we'll see if we can make some time for you. Um, but all of that stopped. (laughs) What have you been doing during the shutdown since, you know, you're not doing stand-up? Um, I've been watching way too much TV. Um, I've watched, I feel like every episode of guys, grocery games, every <laughs> diners, drive-ins and dives ridiculous. Now, for whatever reason, they've been playing ridiculousness on MTV. I feel like I've watched every episode of this. Um, I've been writing as much as I can and I've been on TikTok like crazy. That's all I've been doing is TikTok and started off for my own sanity. And then it kind of just took its own little life and has now got a grip on me. So I'm an official TikToker, I guess. You, you are. That's where I, I mean, I do, I follow you on, uh, you know, on Facebook. We've been friends since the NoHo Comedy Festival in 2019, which, Ooh. that was such a good year, wasn't it? It was so much fun. <laughs> it's so sad to think how fun it was. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> uh, and the festival was so much fun. Did you have a good time then? I, I had a great time. Like, it was one of those where it was, like, my first festival ever. Like, I applied just because, like... You know, I know Jack. I've, I've performed with Jack a bunch. He's always in Vegas. I've been to LA a bunch. So, like, he was like hyping it up that I should apply. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to like get it, but I'll apply because what the heck? You never know. Um, and then I got in and I was super excited. And then I got to meet all you wonderful people that were also on it. And I think like it was such a wonderful experience. The shows were great. The shows were crazy. And I think we've all made like lifelong friends or people that we can lean on if we go to a different city like to show us the ropes to get us on shows to make connections and um like you know miles weber was my roommate for the noho fest and we've become like really good friends we've opened for him a bunch on the road he lives in vegas now like literally right down the street from me so did you guys uh, meet at noho yeah never oh my gosh i was like oh they've known each other for years no, no, no. We met at NoHo. Like, he, he performed at the Stratosphere, my home club, um, a bunch. But, like, I never really got a chance to really talk to him or meet him because he was always on the earlier shows and I had to work at the time. So, no, that was my first time meeting him and it was cool. We got along great and still do. That is so cool. Yeah, I I would I haven't talked about it in a while. But one of the things I really loved about that festival and it just blew me away was that I felt like everybody was so nice to me and being a newer comedian, you know, we would be in the van, Jack shuttling us around and just hanging out and talking and people would laugh at what I was saying too. 
Like, right. I know that sounds weird and dumb, but that doesn't always happen. And so a lot of times it's the experienced comedians, the dudes and the, you know, the guys talking. But I was like right there in the middle and I felt very accepted and very like just, yeah. And it made me feel very funny, which makes me more funny. Right. And that's what you, you know better than anybody in our, in our industry. Like if you feel good on stage, if you feel like you're doing well, like you are more natural, you're more yourself and you're able to do better things and connect with the audience better. So yeah, I felt the same way. Like, cause I think you came the second day, right? You weren't there the first day. I was not there the first day. Yeah. So I had come out like okay. Friday, I had a work conflict. I was so like, Oh no, I'm going to miss so much. And I did, <laughs> but I think I did. Okay too. No, you did fine. But I was the same because I didn't. I thought I was like the newest comedian. Like we're right in the same par lengthwise for for a comedy career. So like, I'm I'm glad that I knew that later on. But like I was kind of bummed because the first van ride I was super intimidated because everyone's talking about like the places they've headlined, 14 years, 15 years, 16 years. I'm like, I'm not I'm not headlining anywhere. I'm not you know 10 years plus in. Like so I was. I was more intimidated, but then they, everyone, like you said, was just super cool and super accepting and wanted to get to know you. And it was, yeah. made me very comfortable right away. It was my first time performing in LA. And so that was a big deal for me. Cause I was like, okay. am I LA funny? I'm not sure. You know, like I do, do, do my jokes work there. The, the shows we did were packed. Like they were great shows. Right. And yeah. you know, the, the headliners, the drop in headliners, they had some star power where you were like, oh my gosh, like Jamie Kennedy just gave like mm -hmm. gave me like an applause before he went on or like there's right. Damon Wayans Jr. And t I'm really excited by that, you know, like, um, yeah. so yeah, 2019, shoot. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Jack treats us really well. I went out to, um, I went to LA the beginning of this year uh, for a week okay. and he gave me some time and I was like, oh. This is really nice. Thank you. And I was so appreciative. And now I'm very grateful for all of the comedy that I did, like January, February, a little bit of March, because who knew that would be it? <laughs> I know. I know. I think that's the thing that bums me out the most is like, I felt like I was on a really, really good role. Like, you know, when, like, especially because we're newer, the probably the biggest problem we have is just finding that consistency, how to bring it every single night, like yeah. some of the headliners are able to do. And like, you know, when like you get that consistent, like we have two or three, four good shows in a row, you're just like, okay, I want to parlay this as long as possible because I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. And that's, I was like in the middle of one of those, I had like a good two week span where I had shows every night. I was in Chicago doing Zanies because uh, my good friend Butch Bradley was headlining yeah. there. He knew I was from Chicago. So he's like, come with me, I'll get you some spots. So like I was having really good and then like in the middle of me being in Chicago, they're like, we're going to shut down. We don't know if you're going to be able to travel back. And I had to for my uh, for my wife. I had to come back to make sure she was OK. Obviously, they didn't do any of that. But like I think the big the big stop, all of a sudden the hard stop is what was hardest for me because hard stop. we were on such a good roll. And then it was like, nope, sorry, too bad. 30 days. And then it obviously it's just yeah. continuing <laughs> I feel you. I got to open with Butch here at uh, Stir Crazy in Glendale, and that was okay. really cool. Yeah, it was a fun weekend. Um, Character, for sure, but an amazing guy. <laughs> yeah, he's really cool. And that's one of my favorite things, I and mean, I miss it a lot right now about stand-up, is just the connection, you know? I'm like, 
we worked with a lot of the same people just like over here and over here and then like your your circle really grows you know like the next time mm-hmm. you do a weekend with somebody you're like oh you know and then it grows a little bit more so i mean i'm i want to be optimistic that it'll be back and i i keep telling right. myself like if you want to like just be on that same track when it starts you can you know like right we've opened up a couple times here and now shut down also and it's mm-hmm. like they're you know if 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 you're not you i mean i guess i'm i'm talking to myself too but like if you're ready and if you're in it they're calling you and they need you like so absolutely yeah what is 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 vegas open like what's the deal with vegas so vegas um they never officially open shows they never officially open uh, because a lot of our clubs our main clubs are like on the strip in the casinos Mm -hmm. so like even like jimmy kimmel's who's technically isn't in a casino it's owned by a casino so they have the over you know the stratosphere they're not owned by the casino but they're in the casino so they got to play by their rules so they haven't opened since you know march mid-march or whenever they closed down um there were a couple shows that were outside of the casinos Mm -hmm. that were in bars and they were allowed to open because they had to follow the, the bar guidelines um, and then that lasted for only like two weeks and then they shut bars back down again. So there's really, the casinos are open and that's about it. Like you can't really do much. You have to wear a mask in the casino. Uh, I think they only allow like three people at the table. There's no bars, uh, limited restaurants, the pool, you have to wear a mask outside in the 116 degree heat if you're going Ooh. to the pool. So who wants to do any yeah. of that? It doesn't sound fun at all. So that's, uh. It's been a little bit of a ghost town here, which has been wild. Like walking the strip with nobody on it has been a surreal feeling, a surreal sight. It was cool at first. Now it's like, I'm over it. It's scary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting, man. Well, you had some wings. Uh, I'm doing wings at a distance where I'm like, hey, go get your own wings and tell me about them. <laughs> but I think that's neat too, because we might be tapping into some wings or um like different restaurants maybe or different flavors that we normally wouldn't get or even wings you want to make so tell me about the wings that you had spiro i i went like basic bitch status and i went to buffalo wild wings <laughs> yeah, uh, okay <laughs> never mind because <laughs> I, I am just i wanted to go to this one we have this really good like wing place that's right down the street for me and they do like chicken tenders and wings but they were closed when i went there they were closed so i was kind of bummed because they're actually really 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 good one of those places that gives you like so many french fries you're like this is ridiculous i don't need this many french fries like please stop what's the name of that place so uh it's just called wings oh just wings it's just just wings just <laughs> wings it's got plain black writing on the front like it's not appealing to look at at all but it is a it is it's amazing it's really really good it's uh owned by this nice chinese lady she's super friendly she hooks it up every single time you Order know like the less the less um, like design and like visual, the better the food. <laughs> oh yeah, I've learned that from growing up in Chicago. The the worse that the place looks on the exterior is probably the better the food on the inside. You're like, you know, just, this is gonna be good. Yeah, just don't ask to see the health department score. That's all. Like, you don't want to see any of that kind of stuff. Just eat it and enjoy. It. <laughs> so, what kind of wings did you order from B Dubs? Um, so I'm a lightweight. So I got the mild, uh, boneless. I got oh. the, uh, I think it's a 15 or 16 piece with extra ranch. Like I said, <laughs> basic bitched it up for sure. Okay, to be honest, okay. Having a wing podcast, I usually shame people for having boneless. But as a food eater, 
I do like boneless because it's a lot like no work, you know, and I just want to eat the meat. I just want to eat the, have the flavor. Um, so I right. get it, but I have to give you a little bit of, of guff for it, but, uh, it's, it's all good. I, I, this might be the most controversial thing online to this point of the quarantine, but I think Buffalo Wild Wings boneless wings are better than their bone-in wings. So that's why I did. Interesting. Just, why is that? I, like, I don't know. I like bone-in wings traditionally, but for some reason, Buffalo Wild Wings, their boneless wings do it for me better. I think just because, like you said, it just absorbs that flavor of the sauce. They're usually not overcooked. Mine were very delicious today. They were perfectly cooked. You know what I think the answer is there is that it's because their bone-in wings suck and they, they're they not a good wing place for somebody who only does wings. Yeah, I mean, you said it, not me. So all the I've said it a million times. I've said it. It's the, I'll, okay, I'll go to B-dubs. I like them. Um, they've made some changes, at least um, I, I did an episode with Amir Khalil uh, a little while ago and um, I noticed some changes that I really liked with their bone in, um, I think ordering them just a little extra cooked, uh, okay. helps, but they stopped doing the paper, t- the paper trays. And that was the number one thing that bothered me. And they were doing these okay. cool metal trays. Cause I'm like, if you're charging a premium, why are you putting it in these little paper trays? It makes me so angry. Um, but I've also heard they don't buy the best, like, I think in, in, you know, in butcher sciences, there's a different quality <laughs> to like, the meat you buy, like fewer broken bones or few whatever. So I think that right. could be why. Like they're, yeah. Um, do you eat bone and wings ever? Oh, I love bone and wings. I usually that's probably what I eat mainly if I eat wings. Just yeah. for whatever reason, Buffalo Wild Wing. I got to do the, I got to do the bone the boneless. But I I love me some bone and wings anywhere else I go. Yeah. Do you when you're in that situation? Do you do a do you go for the drummy or the flat first? Oh, it's a good question. I think I go for the I go for the drummies first. I'm very weird. I'll eat all the drummies first, and then I'll do the wings, like the the flaps. I guess for lack of a better word, I do those second. And I don't know which one I like more, but I think the flaps are a little bit more like I got to be a little bit more involved. So I just want to shove the food down my gullet as fast as possible. So I, I go for the big meaty, the big meaty legs first. Okay, so yeah, we talk about this a lot on this podcast. It's your wing constitution, um, uh-huh. and so you're a drummy. When you I'm do the, when you do that, do you prefer a sauce? This is uh, like I said, the wing constitution. Do you prefer like a dry rub or like a sauced wing? Um, pro- probably sauce. I would go sauced for sure. Dry rub. They're okay, but they're not my favorite. Sauce all day. I'm a saucy drummy. <laughs> do you uh, do you dip? Do you do ranch or blue cheese? I do dip and I do ranch. I cannot stand blue cheese. Get <laughs> away from me. Send it far, far away. I'll get extra blue cheese just so that they don't give me any more blue cheese. Like, I'll just throw it all in the garbage. <laughs> Sparrow, people have very specific, uh, you know, thoughts around their wings. And that's why, you know, that's what I like to find out. Um, well, other people are wrong. So, <laughs> you know. do you um, do you do the carrots or celery or nothing? Would you? I prefer nothing, but the lady she likes the the veggies, so she she gnaws on the veggies for me. So I'll, I'll get those. Sometimes I have to pay a little extra for the more more ranch because they don't. Let, but B Dubs they don't let you do too ranch 
and a veggie, you got to pay extra for it. So look, she's costing me all that money now. You know what? They, you're right. Like, and a lot of uh, wing places have said, you know what? We're going to charge for everything because I think it's because not everybody likes it. And that way you get it if you like it. But I hate when I'm surprised and I'm expecting celery and carrots. Um, um, but yeah, you know what? Actually, I want to find out because I think sometimes your wing, um, like your wing partner uh, strategy you know, sometimes can be different because, you know, is your wife, does she like the flats or the wings to complement your drummies or is she a drummy also? Oh my God. That's, that's a good question. I think, I think whatever I'm eating at the time is what she wants. So if I'm eating the drummies too fast, I'll, I'll see her glaring at me and eyeballing me and I'll be like, what? She's like, don't eat all of those. I want some, <laughs> like, but you're eating the flats. And she's like, well, I want those later. So, and then if I go for the flats, it'll be the same thing. So I, I'm always wrong with how I eat my food. So <laughs> I've just learned to accept, I've just learned to accept to at least make sure I'm getting glared at before I s- slow down or stop or move on. So, okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of, hold on one second. What is this? Um, I'm very fascinated now with, um, um, uh, um, I'm very fascinated with like couples eating because uh, it's just interesting. Um, but it's, before it's I do, how, how many wings <laughs> can you eat if, if you sat down or yeah, what's your number? How many wings I could eat? Bone, boneless, I could probably do, I think I'm really full. I think I got the 15 or 16. I don't remember what the, their packs are, but I'm pretty full. So whatever that for boneless. So probably like in that 16 range. Bone in, I could probably hawk down 25 to 30. I could probably probably munch on some wings for sure. Do you clean your wing when you when you have a bone in wing? Do you like get all the meat off or do you just take a couple bites? Like I, I try to clean. I try to clean as best as I can, but I'm okay, so we're gonna go into territory that I that grosses me out, but I'll talk about it. <laughs> um, balled up napkins, like messy napkins. Like a growth, so like people that like take the whole stick and then put it in their mouth and then slurp it out and then put it and then they're touching the nap. It disturbs me to the core. So I'm a very, I'm a very neat. And when I wipe wipe my hands with my saucy fingers, I throw it away. I mean, I, I can't look at it. Interesting. So I gotta. I I try to be as neat as possible, but if it's too slimy or messy, like I gotta throw it away or it'll make me nauseous oh my goodness this is fascinating i've i'm thinking about all the times i've eaten there's sometimes it's usually wings and you pile up some napkins where does that come from i don't i don't know where this phobia comes from but every time i would go to like buffalo wild wings or like any wing place and like i see the waitress having to grab the balled up napkins and putting them in the tray to throw away <laughs> I literally get, I'm getting chills. I'm getting goosebumps on my arm right now thinking about it. It just grosses me out. I don't know why. It just freaks me out. I just, love just, this. Just... <laughs> I love this so much. This is the this is the gold I'm trying to get to. <laughs> like people's weird Man. idiosyncrasies. Oh, oh that's funny. I, I would love you should do some kind of deep therapy to figure out where that comes from. Right? It's probably the fact that I'm a a messy individual to begin with and I like chaos and it's just it's my my insecurities unballed up napkins I don't want people to touch my gross insecurities well I'll tell you I hate when um, a napkin when when a restaurant has like a real f- cheap flimsy napkin and you need like one napkin per 
whatever. Like if you if they have like a good napkin, like that rectangular one that folds and like you could use that your whole meal and you're good. But or, um yeah. Yeah, I never I'm going to really think about this now. <laughs> that is so great. Well, there's your wing constitution. Um Uh-oh. You, I, I think it's like those five or six questions. Um, you know, everybody has like kind of a different answer. Um, mm-hmm. and I do think it's neat. A lot of times, um, other times we've talked about how like couples, uh, the perfect match is when, you know, you're drumming to your flat, you know, like if you and your spouse have like opposing things, but yours is more of one of like compromise and yielding, which is probably means something also of like, I will do that for you and I will make that sacrifice. And I don't know. That's something that's kind of neat. Yeah. I'm never happy about having to slow down to eat because I'm a fast eater. And she's a very like let's take two hours to eat one meal kind of person, so it, it's not a it's not a happy compromise, but it's for my own safety and well being compromise. I wonder if it's like it's probably perfect. It's probably a perfect match because if you were both like you, it would be like no, you know, like you're you guys are a perfect complementary match to each other. Right. You learn to kind of like appreciate the time and the moment. <laughs> right. She also likes leftovers, so I got I can't eat all of it. Like we have to have stuff for her to snack on later. Do so you do leftovers? I if I have them, then yes. But quite often I don't have leftovers. I eat anything that's put in front of me. Okay, so that's really interesting too, and I haven't thought about that in the context of this podcast. But like, um, I'm not a big leftovers person. I don't think they taste as good the next day, but since getting an air fryer, like you can make anything kind of taste really good the next day. But I think that's kind of a personal thing too, like about somebody is like, are you a leftovers person? Um, that's interesting. So you always try to save food so that she has she has leftovers. Yep. That's so nice. That's so sweet. I love that. <laughs> I try. Yeah. Good. How long have you been married? Uh, we got married back in February, the beginning that's of February. Right. Um, fantastic. Um, and you guys, it, I, I know you guys just got, so it's been, um, just a little bit over a year then. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, what? Six months? Seven months? Oh, uh, that's right. Okay. It was this year. Yes. It feels like <laughs> way longer. <laughs> In Corona times. It's oh, so yeah. much more. <laughs> fantastic. That's so nice. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um, so, okay, you said you were, you're doing a lot of writing, you're doing a lot of TikTok. Um, are you, are you creating, um, I know you're saying you're doing some writing, like, tell me about creating during this time. Like, I know I thought, like, okay, well, I'm just going to write all this, these jokes, and I'm finding, like, I don't really have the mental capacity for that right now. Like, it's not, that's not working the way I had expected it. Like, what's been your experience trying to create in these circumstances? I think that's I'm, – I'm similar. I think that's been the hardest part for me is because I think – and everyone's I think has gone through this where everybody in March, you know, everyone like 30 days, we're locking down. And everyone's like, 30 days? Oh, my God. But that's okay. We'll write for 30 days. We'll focus for 30 days. And then once it's over, we'll get back to it and everything will be okay. We'll do yoga. We'll ex- learn a new language. Right. So it's just been extended. And I think um, – a lot of people, a lot of colleagues, I think, have lost the drive to do it, one. Um, and, but with me, it was more like I'm the same. Like I, I, I envy people that can just sit and write jokes and know that they'll work and they might have to fine-tune it 
or like the rhythm might have to be a certain way. Like I, I just cannot sit and write jokes. Like it just, I don't have, again, like you said, like I just don't have the capacity to do that. My, my process is very much since I have the improv background, I like coming with some ideas and just riffing it at an open mic or at a small show and trying to figure out how my brain thinks about it. So it's been tough because like, I've been trying to do it without the open mics or without the shows. And obviously it's a different animal because you're not actually performing. You're just in your house talking to yourself like a psychopath. So um, it's been tough. That's, that's been tough. But like I said, the TikToks have been really good for me because they allow me to create and do something and keep my mind fresh every single day because you have to post every single day. And so you get that feedback me. that you don't get because we're not doing open mics. Right, right. So you, you can craft, like, because when I first started, I did certain things. And then when I started doing a couple other videos, they really took off. So people were like, do more of these. So it was a good way to, like, remind myself that's how I like the process is where I get to throw stuff out there and see what feels good and what feels right. And then I can focus in on one direction instead of just writing a whole bunch of things on a notebook that I won't even know when I get to perform these kind of, you know. Yeah. I so wrote like, tough. I wrote like one or two jokes, but then I realized I, I can't, I haven't even been able to get in front of anybody to see if these are funny or where the punches are. Right. And, um, but, uh, that, that's an interesting take on it. You're right. And I, it dawned on me like having, um, you know, getting all that feedback what has been um what's your favorite tiktok like like what are you watching on tiktok or what do you enjoy like consuming on there it's the funny thing about tiktok is it's so random it's so random and it's it took me a second and i get why people don't like tiktok um besides the fact that of the stereotype that it was before everybody got on it where it's like just younger people now it's like everybody's on it. So that's not even like a reason to not like it anymore. Like just everybody's on it. But uh, the thing about it is it changes so fast. Like it's so yes. like three days, like you'll see the same trend of people doing the same song or the same type of video with their spin on it for three days straight. That's all you see. And then like the next day it's like something completely different. And you got to like kind of learn to shift back and forth. But the, there's this new trend going on where people are literally like putting their eyes and lips on inanimate objects and like just making like dramatic scenes back and forth. They've been killing, it's been killing me for whatever reason. It's so dumb, but it makes me laugh so hard where they're like, they're just doing like scenes from like the movie Friday, but putting their eyes and face over like Cinderella characters. And it, it just cracks me up. Like, I don't know why. I don't so know. Funny. Like, like I've been a little slow on TikTok because I don't know how to do all of these things. And I think the tools on it are really cool. Like it is probably the most creative I've been, but it's like, right. I mean, I guess you have to practice these tools to get really good at them maybe. Yeah. And, um, I mean my, while I was doing improv, while I studied in school, like I was in film school and everything like that. So I do have like a lot of editing software. So oh, like cool. I do do a lot of things outside the app. Very rarely do I edit in the app. So I edit outside the app and then Snapchat, the, I think the eyes and the lips, that feature is from Snapchat. So people will film it in Snapchat, download it, edit it, and then upload it in TikTok. So it is a little bit of a process, so to speak. Oh my gosh. I know. I didn't even I know. realize. That's one I'm not on. I'm not on Snapchat. Um, I don't like it either. You know that one, um, the Make It Stop song? Make it stop, make it stop. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, That yes. was, like, when that first started a couple weeks ago, you know, it was like, this is the most annoying song, and now it's really stuck in my head, and it's mm-hmm. very normal now. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right, it moves really fast. Yeah. I feel like a lot of what I'm seeing, like, I... I like it all. I mean, or else I wouldn't be on it all the time. But it's crazy how there's just so much, like, fun, quick, entertaining content. Next thing you know, yeah. it's 2 a.m. and your neck hurts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really curious to see. Um, I'm wondering where it's going and what the lasting effects will be or, or what whatever. Um, um, because in the beginning, or when I first started TikTok at the beginning of this, it was really sweet. I was in sweet TikTok, like girls kissing their boyfriends to see, if, or their friends to see if they like them. And I was like, oh, this is so sweet. And now, like, I'm in political TikTok. I'm in a lot of Karen videos. And it's like, ugh. And maybe that's just the algorithm that, you know, I'm in or whatever. But it's interesting how it just evolves. Right. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. Political videos. I'm in, I'm big into these videos now about kids filming like Vietnam vets being racist or the, you know, it's like 16, 17 year old kids filming Vietnam vets and they say stuff and the Vietnam vets like, you know, says something crazy. And then they're like, are you, you're racist. And he's like, yeah, I'm racist. I don't care. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, like people are like in your face saying that kind of stuff. Like, just put the camera down and leave. Don't, like, what, like, don't try to be famous on TikTok and have something crazy happen to you because some, you know, like, Vietnam vets, they've, they've seen some shit. Like, they, you know, like, they are, they had their time in a terrible, terrible war. So, you running up to them with a phone, they're not afraid of what you're going to post on Facebook. They'll just, they'll tool you up pretty quick. <laughs> they need to tool you up. That's a re- that's an interesting, uh, you're right. Yeah, my dad's a vet. But I will say the current political climate and I will say the one, I'm thinking about this as a joke, but I'm like the, you know, I'm really grateful to the current president because he did do one thing really, really well. And I'm so appreciative. He turned my dad into a Democrat. Okay. There you go. My 70 year old from the South uh, Marine Vietnam vet father, you made him a freaking liberal, which I never thought would happen. So I'm pretty That's grateful crazy. for that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It's it is fascinating. I wonder where it's going. You have congratulations. You've got over. You've got 1.2 million likes. Like yeah, who's liking the who who's who's liking this stuff? Like who are your fans? Who's reaching out to you? So it's funny because when I first started, like. Again, and this was the big, everyone still kind of knocks TikTok for this when they're like, oh, it's just like kids, like 16, 17 year olds. Now, at the beginning, that's what it was because, like, when I first started, like, that was like, I just did whatever the trends were. Like, whatever was trending, I was like, I'll do this trend too. And then I'm like, like, what's the, I'm like, I don't want to, I figured since I wasn't able to write and perform the way I, I wanted to, like, the next best thing was like, how do I make sure I have shows? afterwards like after all this is over how long whatever like how do i ensure that i get more shows and i was like well let me do something that other people aren't doing or most people aren't doing excuse me where i'm like let me try to like build a fan base of some sort that way afterwards i could be like one i'm always i'm always popping up on people's feeds because i'm posting every single day two i could be like look i have this many people that like my stuff can you give me a shot to perform so that was kind of like my mindset on it. So I definitely shifted my thought process on how do I get older people like 
like my age and older because they're the ones that are going to come to the show. Ticket buying audiences. Yeah. Right. So they're not going to come to the shows right away, but I didn't want to discredit that younger generation because they're going to be the generation of the future that buys the stuff. Like when eventually, hopefully I get to a headliner like point when I'm touring, you know, in the five, six, seven, ten years, whatever, they'll be the ones buying the tickets. So hopefully I can lay little, little seeds early. And then by the time they have money and a job, they can come out and see me. So that was like my process. And it's been, it's been successful. It's been really good. Like my range is like, I think like 80% of my followers are women and they're in that 27 to like 38 range. I think the last nice. time I checked. So, so it's exactly great. what I wanted to like do. You are thinking strategically. Um, and I feel like that's the kind of stuff we learned at those workshops at NoHo. I've heard it at other workshops about building your fan base. Right. Um, and that's how you get booked to headline is if there are people who are, will buy tickets. And then it was Tricks at one festival was talking about that, how like like YouTubers, yeah, they can they can get booked and sell tickets, but can they get invited back? You know, he said he was like, at least right. you all as stand-ups, you know, once once you get that opportunity, you know what to do because you know how to, how to do comedy. Um, or how to do stand-up. So, um, so smart. And that is inspiring. And I hope anybody listening kind of has that same feeling of instead of making this pandemic and shut down like, oh, no, okay, I guess I can't do comedy. It's how do I make it work for me or how do I adjust, you know, so that I can continue to grow and build my brand. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, like, for my own mental health, that was something that I needed. I'm like, like, I can't drive myself crazy trying to force myself to write or force myself to try to get these shows as soon as, especially because my wife has health issues. So like we have to be selective on what we do and where we go. So I'm like, I can like, if open mics open, I'm not just going to start running to open mics. Like I, I can't risk, you know, I can't risk all that kind of stuff. Right. So that was like something and tricks funny that you mentioned it, his live podcast with Rick Bronson yeah. a couple months ago, back when he had these interviews that he would do. Um, this was back, I think in like early April, like when he said, like he shouted me out and then Rick was like, how many followers do you have? And I was like, Oh, like 200. He goes, Oh, well, you know, that's cool. But like, that's not. So I was like, okay, well, obviously he was interested in me when t- Trick said that he, that I was killing it on TikTok or whatever, which I was doing great, but I wasn't doing all that well. Like I was still in the early stages. So then I was like, okay, like if he was that interested with like tricks backing me, like what can I do to like next time he asks, I can at least give him something better where he would be like, okay, well let's work on something. So that was kind of the light bulb moment for me where I was like, I need to try to shift this into something like better. And I'm going to get hate because everyone likes to talk smack on the internet about things they don't want to do. But uh, I was like, I just got to stick with it because I think, I think this could be the next thing and this could be something that I could excel at. Spiro, you really just, it, it, you just pulled it all together and I realized that's why anybody I meet who talks about you always has really great things to say about you. Whether it's Tricks, uh-huh. Butch Bradley, Jack, um, Jack Asadorian Jr., like they all talk about you because of that right there. You're like, oh, what can I do to to be better, to do, you know, how can I work harder to give you guys what you want to give me that shot? And I feel like, um, like I'm no expert at this, but just from my observations, like a lot of people don't do that. And I think that kind of hard work, um, 
you know, ethic or mentality just goes a long way. Butch was like, oh, Sparrow. <laughs> um, yeah. Butch is, Butch is a sweetheart. He's been like my big brother since the start. He got me into the LA Comedy Club because he came to an open mic I was running. And he came and he saw something in me that he, like, I was still, I was less than a year in. And he saw something and really went to bat for me to get into that club. And he's been like a great mentor, big brother the whole time. So that, that means a lot. But I've heard the same thing about you, Mary. Like everyone oh. talks about your hustle. I've, everyone talks about your hustle and what you do and what you what you get done. And you're obviously very, very funny. You're hilarious. You're a sweetheart. Like I think that all comes together too. Being a sweet person that's willing to work hard. You know, there's people like to, especially in these kind of fields. And again, I came from professional sports. So it's similar in my mind where people feel like the best way to sometimes level up is to step on other people or discredit other people or push them aside when sometimes you just can't, like you shouldn't do that. You should focus on yourself and get better at yourself. That way, like you're not one burning bridges Two, if you're worrying about somebody else, then you've already lost the battle. One of my favorite quotes, it's a, it's a meme. Um, back when Michael Phelps was in the Olympics and the Brazilian guy was like talking all sorts of smack, how he's going to beat him. And there's a picture where Michael Phelps is like, like a little bit ahead of him and he's looking forward. And then the Brazilian guy is looking at him and it says like winners focus on winning losers, focus on winners. And I'm like, that's, I love it. I love it so much because there's so much focus on what other people are doing instead of like, what can I do better? Or what can, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to fix? But, uh, like, I've heard nothing but amazing things about you. And I see back when we were doing this, you were working and killing the game. So, like, Thanks that's so mad much. props to you, too. Thank you. That's really nice. Um, I'm writing down that quote, and I was like, yeah, I can. I remember that meme. Because um, he's not concerned at all with what's going on behind him, only what's in front. Um, Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. We're just amazing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, everybody else. That's not as amazing as we are. <laughs> Well, okay, so one of the things I think that really was a highlight of meeting you in NoHo, and I was hoping maybe you could share with us a little, share with us on the podcast <laughs> about what happened, because uh, to set the stage, I had gone, my show at the, during that hour was, was down the street, and then, but apparently at, when you were doing your showcase at the um, Ha Ha Comedy Club, you had like an interruption. You kind of had a heckler. What did you do <laughs> and what happened? Oh, my God. It's so funny because it's like I, I don't want to like, like I'm just going to tell you what people have said about me. I'll build I'll build it up. Oh, what sure. makes this story so funny and so ridiculous at the same time, because I've always heard people say like, like. I even had someone the other day, though, like, you never swear. Like, I've, I've never heard you swear before. I'm like, well, you don't listen. To, like, I'm very, I, I'm good at, like, keeping it, like, not graphic or, like, but, but I, I curse like a fucking sailor. Like, I just slide it in there, though. But, um, so I've always had that on stage where people are like, oh, my God, like, people, like, I never have to worry about you. You're always safe, but, like, you're not clean, but you're, like, you're not offensive. People can feel comfortable with you. Like I get that all the time, which it's a it's a great compliment. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It gets you it booked a lot too, because people are like, "Oh, good. It's not yeah." Right, and a lot of bookers, especially in Vegas, they're afraid of squeaky clean because they think 
they come with more baggage than normal. So they want someone that's not filthy, but someone that can like play both sides of the fence, I guess. So Matt, the booker for the LA Comedy Club, he came down to NoHo, and I was I was super nervous because it was the first show. Um, again, that van ride, everybody was so experienced. Everyone has all these awesome credits, and I'm like, I'm on the show with all these great people. Like, I don't know what, like, I want to prove myself. So I'm like, I'm like a little nervous. So he's just talking to me. He's like, you know what, Spiro? One of, one of the things I like about you the most is you always do a great job. I never have to worry about you on stage. Like, you're always like, he's like, he's like, no. And I've been attacked before on stage. Before that, I got attacked by a different porn star. You know. <laughs> so I got attacked by a different porn star for a joke that I do, which was funny because that was what he brought up. He's like, that, that whole Bridget thing, like, it's like, it's just so funny, but like, he's like, I never, he's like, I never worry about you. I never worry about people trying to get upset at you, come at you on stage. I know that you would handle it professionally if it did happen. So literally saying this like 10 minutes before the show starts, like he's just telling me how like safe I am on stage. How like nobody gets upset at me. Like he's never had a complaint about me at the club, nothing. So like, I'm think I'm third or something. It's the first show. And I think I'm like third, the first two people go, it's great. Uh, you know, everyone's having a good time. I go up. And I'm telling this Cardi B joke that I could tell, and it's changed since then, but essentially I make fun of these lyrics that she has where she says, my pussy's basura, your pussy's horchata. Yes. Which I'm like, yes. it's a, it's essentially, I was like, and I, I originally started off the thing with, I'm like, I hate Cardi B's lyrics. They're terrible lyrics. That was how I would set everything up. And this girl just starts screaming at me in the back. Like I just hear, and it was a long, it was like a long hallway show. Like there was like, like there was like five seats and there was probably like 12 back. Like it was yeah. just like a narrow like room. So I don't even see her, but I hear her in the back just being like, fuck you, fuck you. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, what's your, I'm like, what? She's like, she has more money than you, you bitch ass. And I'm like, I'm like, I never, I never said she did not I just don't like her lyrics. And she's like, my ex-boyfriend wrote her lyrics, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and I just was like, hey, that's the worst name drop I've ever heard in my <laughs> She's life. She's just handing it to you on a gold platter <laughs> at that point. Yeah. I'm like, my, my cousin works at, you know, Krispy Kreme. But if someone talks bad about Krispy Kreme, I don't get all defensive that my cousin's the one that makes those donuts. <laughs> and like, yeah. So everyone laughed. And I just hear her still just like, fuck yeah, like just getting like angry. So I tell the joke. Um, about how essentially the lyric is talking about how she has a yeast infection and how it's just well, like who what, like what like why is that a good lyric? And she, I see her just sprint up to the stage. This tiny little Latina with big fake boobs runs up and gets this close to my face, like on stage. So I immediately am just like this. I'm like I don't want. So like if she tries to hit me, I don't want to accidentally like you're bump her. Like, you're crossing wanna... your arms. You're like I'm not I'm neutralizing this. I'm, I'm neutralizing it that way. If she hits me, I can I can protect myself. Yeah. Or like I don't want to make it look like I you know I touched her. Like sure. I don't need these kind of problems. So I'm immediately in defense mode. I'm not scared. Like I'm like this woman is clearly drunk or high or both or whatever. So she runs up and she's just like fuck you, fuck <laughs> you, and I'm like. I'm like, excuse me, like, what are you doing? I'm doing a show. And she's like, we'll see about that. I know the producer of this show, and I'm going to get you kicked off the festival. Oh and I God. said, I'd love to see you try. And then everyone laughed. And then she's like, we'll see about that. And then she runs all the way to the back of the room. And at this point, like, I see Matt from the LA Comedy Club. I see his, like, just 
like always trying to <laughs> process what's going on. The audience is losing their mind, which I found out it was all like the industry from like, the panels. Yeah. So like, I didn't know that. So, but like I saw like four minutes left in my set and you know, like, you know, these things that if something crazy happens, you yeah. can't just like, well, here's my material now. Let me go. So I literally just made fun of her for the rest of the four uh. minutes. Like I just talked all sorts of shit about her for four minutes. I was just like, who would have thought, you know, like they told me about the bloods and the crips in LA, but they never told me not to mention Cardi B. Like I was just, because like, I thought she was mad that I was making fun of Cardi B. Like I, I, I'll tell you what she was mad at because the story continues. So anyway, I get off stage. I have to walk. The comedians are in the back of the room. So I have to walk past her to get to the back of the room. So I walk past her and I see her like filming the whole thing. So I just go up to her. I'm like, hey, no hard feelings, right? She's just like, fuck you. And like, All right. So I'm in the back and I'm just like, what's happening? Like Miles Weber goes on stage again. So my roommate, I know he headlines my home club. So I want to be respectful and watch it. But like yeah. everybody's still kind of like, what the hell just happened? So like as he's up there, um, I forget her name. The girl from L.A., tiny little blonde. Kay- uh, I was going to say Kayla. Kayla. Kayla, Kayla. She walks she walks up to me and she's like, oh my God, like you handled that great. Like, you know, we were all so scared back here, but like you handled it great. Like let's exchange information like on like Instagram and everything. So I'm like, okay. So we're all like in the back, all the comedians were exchanging all the information and this girl whips her head around and she's like, are you talking more shit? <laughs> <laughs> Just whips her head around and then <laughs> she like runs up and like now like, uh, all the people, Lucas, and all the people running the festival, like, have, like, like a barricade between us, because she is, like, going nuts. And the whole time, Miles is performing, and the whole audience is turned around watching what's mm. going on. So I feel bad. I'm like, great. So she's just like, you're the most offensive piece of shit I have ever met. Well, I just, and I'm like, excuse me, like, what did I, what did I do? I'm sorry that I offended you, but, like, what did I do? And she's like, you said Cardi B's vagina Sounds like she has a yeast infection. My boyfriend wrote those lyrics about my vagina. Ah! So you pulled everybody. <laughs> ah! Are you kidding me? I swear to God. So she's like, so you told everybody in the building that I have a yeast infection right now. No, she did. That's <laughs> why so I said, I was like, no, bitch, you said that you have a yeast infection. And everyone just starts going nuts again. And then she's like, I'm getting you kicked off the festival. And then like ran out and then told Jack. And then Jack was like, no, you're not allowed back at the festival because you can't be attacking comedians on stage while they're performing. <laughs> so Jack totally had my back. And he, apolo- he apologized like every day of the festival for it because it was his friend who was like hosting the dirty show on Cinco de Mayo, who's like some porn star. So he banned her from coming back to the festival oh. until that show. Oh, I might know who you. I might have known who you were talking about. So it was she the right. Me on all social media. What? Everything. <laughs> she blocked me on all social media too. That is so. <laughs> that is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. But you're oh, yeah. like good for you though. Like I think everybody needs that moment where you shine and like everybody remembers it. And then like. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um. <laughs> This is weird entitlement. Like, it's like, that's the epitome of just, you know, any heckler wants to make it about them. That's, I mean, she was really stretching and making it about her when it obviously wasn't about her. Oh, yeah. 
Oh it my was, gosh. It was it was so wild. Have you shared the story <laughs> on TikTok? I, I so on my lives, I'll I'll tell the story on my lives because I get I get a lot of people that ask like, what's the weirdest thing that ever happened yeah. on stage? Between between that and the the time that the other porn star attacked me on stage, those are probably my two go to stories. Just because they're so unbelievably ridiculous that it's like. Why do you think stories. porn stars attack you on stage? I don't know. I didn't even so the first time. There's a stripper named Bridget the Midget who's a porn star. Right. And I do a I do a joke about a time my friend took me to a strip club. The only time I've ever been to a strip club, my friend took me to go see Bridget the Midget. She tours with the name Bridget the Midget. Yeah. So I told the story at the Dirty at 12:30 at the South Point here in Vegas, and apparently she she was there and like just ran up to the stage and tried to fight me on stage because she was mad that I was talking about her. But I'm like I'm literally just telling a story. Like it has. Like, I'm just tell it, re- recreating the story of my first strip club experience. I think it's a, um, I think it's an exaggerated and probably drug or chemical, you know, alcohol infused reaction of really just saying, hey, that's me. That's, I, I know that person or I am that person. But like, their weird brains, you know, these drunk people just kind of have to be like, how dare you? That's. I don't know why I'm trying to figure it out, but like I, I see the commonality and these are people who like are used to getting the attention and two, uh-huh. I think maybe it's easier for you because you have that nice guy exterior. Um, right. You know, they're not, a, I don't mean to be sound rude, like they're not afraid of, they know you're not going to like, or they think you're, they're not going to, you're not going to annihilate them verbally or, right. you know, even physically. So maybe, I wonder if it's just a perfect a storm of a situation. <laughs> I, I have no idea, but I I don't think any other my of my other jokes could possibly warrant another porn star attacking me. But we'll we'll see if it's, I'm wrong with that. Well, one. you just that. jinxed it. It's gonna happen. That's your thing. That's amazing. I mean, look, there's some porn stars that have some followings that I wouldn't mind having. I guess in terms of, uh, uh, you know, Mia Khalifa did porn for like three months. And stopped, and now that's it. Yeah, she um, I became uh, she was on Lance Armstrong's podcast. It was a while ago. I'm sure he still does it, moving forward or something. And it's about a topic I think is really fascinating: is how do you move forward after you know some kind of big event or whatever? Which obviously Lance Armstrong has to has had to do that. So when I saw that she was the um, guest, I'm like. You know, I really wanted to hear that, and I, I learned that she only did porn for, like, three months, and from there, it just, she got so famous, and uh, she's more of, like, an influencer now, but she's, uh, yeah, food and yeah, sports. No, she'll and pop up on TikTok every now and then, yeah. doing some weird food or dance or something like that. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I guess, I mean, this is a bigger conversation about, like, fame in America, um, because in a way it's the same thing with Kim Kardashian, you know, she did basically did some porn and then you got infamous and now famous. And then at some point there's like, now you're legitimate, you know, it's like, at what point are you legitimate and can you recover from that? Right. But it's, it's almost back to like what we say about, um, like with us and followers, I think at some point, like no matter what they do, the networks or the TV shows or whatever they look, they're like, okay, well, yeah, this person does this, but look how many followers they have on Twitter. So obviously if we put them on a camera 
or we put them somewhere doing something, like people are going to tune into this. So let's let's take advantage of their fan bases and their following. So I think social media is probably the root of all of this, to be honest with you, in my yeah. opinion. And I feel like it wasn't that long ago where porn was like a um... – you know, a one striker out, like you can never recover from that. And in some industries you can't, but in right. those cases, it's like, Oh, well, you know, over, over time people will get over it. You know, like everything kind of yeah. becomes, it's interesting to see how things have, the tides have changed for some in a good way. And I'm not talking about porn, but like even scandal, you know, there's people we look at differently than maybe we did 20 years ago. Hmm. Yeah. How did I get so deep it's, right now? I don't know. <laughs> it's funny though, because they would always say, like, never do porn or reality TV if you want to make it in show business because essentially just get labeled as a porn star or reality star. But now it's shifted. And it's funny because back in, like, 2006, 2007, my friend worked for MTV and I had an opportunity to be on the real world. But I'm like, I don't want to be labeled as a reality star. But now it's like, shit, I should have done it because I actually would probably be known at that point. Yeah. So it's just, it's wild. I am fascinated with the, the few people who have become very legitimate celebrities or actors from the real world. Um, right. Like uh, Jacinda from England, like the Europe one, and then The Miz. Mm. I mean, he's huge. And um, I think Jamie. Theo Vaughn. Oh, uh, yeah, Theo, obviously, yeah. He's, he's and, probably the biggest out of everybody right now of the real world. You're right. I think back then I was just thinking about actors, but now people are carving their own way, like through comedy, through wrestling and comedy and entertainment. Like, I think maybe what that tells us is that it doesn't really matter. It's you. Like, do people want to see more of you? And if they do, it will work. Hmm. I think that's a great. I think that's a great way to look at it and think about it. Yeah, unless they don't like you, and then it's like, oh, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're all there. We all we all could be there too. Right. I think that about. Um, I don't know if you ever watched like Laguna Beach or The Hills, like that franchise. Um, I always said, I I always said, like it was it was all about supposed to be about Lauren Conrad. But Kristen Cavallari had the star power, and I think it's still true because when she does something, it it, it just gets it's bigger, it's more interesting. And Lauren has always been kind of boring, and eh. and it's like somebody's pushing that along, but it's like people want Kristen. Yeah, no, it's it's funny because I talk to a lot of people about this because I'm not a very political person. Like I don't, I really don't mess with politics. But there's a a very awesome YouTube channel that if you ever want to go down a wormhole, um, it's uh, this guy, Matt Pat, he does like film theory. He has food theory now. He has game theory where he does like theories on movies and What's his name? games. And now he does, it's uh, it's just, if you look up food theory, all their channels will pop up. So, okay. so food theory or film theory. Um, and this, he was one guy that runs all the channels. He does a great thing, but he was talking about why back in 2016, why Donald Trump would win the election and because, he's pretty much running the election like a reality show and it just goes to show that like you might not like you might be the most like you're it's supposed to be about you and you're supposed to be the star power and you're the, the better choice or the better person or whatever but like america loves drama and loves people that don't go against the grain and they want to see that so 
and he pretty much that's what he he knows that whatever he says everyone's going to be like do you can you believe what he's like at the water court can you believe what he said did you do what he said and it's just same thing like with reality shows like yeah like Amarosa on his show like everyone was like oh my god Amarosa I can't believe she's still on the show what's going on or Kristen Cavallari was always causing drama yeah. and beefs and it's just compelling to watch and that's those Americans it's good TV yeah we eat it up yeah you know, um, and I, I, I hate when they push somebody on us that I just really don't like. And I think Amorosa is one of those people where they just kind of keep pushing around. Gosh, it's terrible. Um, there was a girl in Big Brother like that. And it made me stop watching Big Brother. But uh-huh. I'm actually thinking as the ads are coming on because it's going to start. I was like, it might be a good idea to get into Big Brother because there's not going to be anything else on. Right. <laughs> and it's on so much. It's on like three times a week or whatever. So I'm like... You should probably invest early in Big Brother because if you don't get in from the beginning, you're not into it. Um, right. So maybe, and that's what happened during the writer's strike of, uh, I can't remember what year that was. It was like 08 or 09. Um, the writer's strike really made reality TV go to the forefront. Yeah, I and think I, it was 08 because I think that's when Juno won Best Screenplay because it was during the writer's strike. And that's uh, what Diablo Cody was, uh, uh, that was like the thing. She was like the first independent writer to actually like get nominated and end up winning for screenplay because all the writers were on strike. So I think it was 2008. Interesting. Are you saying she wouldn't have won if there wasn't a strike or she had that opportunity because there was a strike? Uh, is she, I mean, who knows, but it was definitely the opportunity was there because yeah. Oscars are one of these things where studios pay right. and promote to get their nominations so she might not have had the chance without it. And bringing it full circle, how can you make the current situation like work for you? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Spiro. Can you believe it's been an hour? It's been fun. It's been a nice yes. chill hour. Um, it has. And I'm... Um, yeah, now my brain's just, now it's working, and I'm like, oh my gosh. But that's what I love about this podcast and talking to people about this stuff. I mean, wings just bring us together, but like, you know, these are the conversations that I think are so valuable. Um, really quick, what do you want in the next one to three years, if it was a vision board, let's say the pandemic is, is going to end or, or whatever, what do you want in the next one to three years? Three years. Um, I definitely want to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, if I could travel a little bit more, that'd be great. Um, but I still want to be just performing stand-up comedy, just growing and getting better. Um, featuring on the road, headlining, maybe some small clubs here and there. Like I, I like to dream big. So I, I'm dreaming those kind of big dreams. And also like, I definitely have the plan within the next three years to get some sort of TV credit, some sort of legit TV credit. Um, I'm close right now. I can't really talk too much about it. Cool. There might be, you might see a familiar face on a Netflix show <gasps> that possibly might be airing soon. Um, I won't know until the end of August, but uh, it looks promising. So, uh, but that's kind of, but you know, things could still happen. But um, that's been kind of my goal ever since this started as well as how to figure out how to make that happen. So I've really been hitting that pretty hard too during the quarantine. So that probably my three years I think that's a lot of stuff on yeah. the plate yeah good and you shall have it that's <laughs> I like to like, put it out there just dream and, and like it can happen right um right. congratulations where can people follow you where can they find you 
Um, I'm on any social media platform, um, and they're all the same. It's at Spiro in that show. So it's my name, Spiro, S-P-I-R-O, in that show, uh, spelled like it sounds. Uh, TikTok, Instagram are the two main ones, but Facebook, Twitter, y'all can follow me on that too. Um, I have a Snapchat, but I don't post anything, so don't follow me there. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time today, and I really appreciate you. Um, You guys, thanks for tuning in to Wings with Friends, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.